Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to discuss books that were inspired by our book club pick. So we're going to discuss Dark Suburbia, Dark Suburban Stories, <laughs> The Darkness of Suburbia. I have the darker side of suburbia. Right. That's what I called it. it. That's it exactly. The darker side of suburbia. So our book was Good Neighbors, right? Yeah, by Sarah Langan. And uh, I have been waiting to hear what Gail (laughs) had to say about this book because she the way she said she had read it just gave me this idea that maybe it was like not one of her favorites. (laughs) <laughs> All right, are we going to jump right in, or you want to do what no, we've been we're reading? Our, dark, our, uh, our books from dark suburbia. We're going to do the dark side of suburbia, and we're going to do what we've been reading. We're going to do our whole thing. So, what have you been reading lately? Oh, let's see. So, um, I think the last time we talked, I'm not sure I had finished yet. I was reading What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins. It was my um, I think it was my book of the month pick last month or two months ago, maybe. Um, and that was definitely my favorite book that I read this month. It's about um, a, a, it's about two boys in the Pacific Northwest. And this is revealed in like literally the first five pages. So this is not in any way a spoiler. One of the high school boys has actually killed the other one and then killed himself. So you have these two, these two boys. And so you have a murder, then a suicide, and then you have the the parents who are left behind. And it's kind of a story about the healing process for these two people. And then there ends up being a, another teenager, a teenage girl who's pregnant, who ends up moving in with one of those parents. So again, none of this is a spoiler and it's kind of a quiet character driven but also has this sort of, you know, crime element to it. And you're sort of just figuring out like what happened and how these people are going to kind of get on with their lives afterwards. So I really enjoyed that one. That was probably my, my favorite read of the month. Now, if you're looking, if you like resolution, would you be satisfied reading this book or? I think so. I think you get enough resolution that it's, it's satisfying. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can't speak to either of the two dead boys, but one of them, you get some perspective into his last day and he does explain, offer some explanation for why he did what he did. So yeah, I think that if you like having resolution that you will feel satisfied with this one. So what are you reading right now? Well, I just am about to finish um, Andrew McCarthy's memoir, Brat, an 80s story, which is a How book I've been that? looking forward to. Really good. Really good. It's pretty quick. Um, it's all about his days in the eighties and the movies he did and it's crippling insecurity and, you know, how he was so uncomfortable with the fame and the attention and the breath pack name. It's really good. If you are an eighties music person or just an eighties person or any kind of nostalgia person or someone who likes, you know, memoirs about showbiz, um, I think you would like it. So I'm going to go back and see some of those movies. I haven't, you know, I hear the references, but I, Andrew McCarthy, I think I know from later things like, didn't he play a pedophile in something? I don't think he played a pedophile. Not that I know of. He, you may remember him from, um, what's the Brad Easton Ellis movie, uh, less than zero. No, he was in something recently and he was a, he was a pedophile in it. He had like, he was in this neighborhood and he kept like something had happened to one of the girls or one of the kids in the neighborhood and Hmm. the neighbors were doing all these weird things to him. Like I remember him eating this pie with glass. I have no idea. I think that this might've been a series and I feel like maybe he directed it. And so the character he played was not in a, a whole lot of episodes Huh. Hmm. But that was, that was pretty recent because he's older. Yeah. And he's actually, I think, been doing a lot of uh, directing. 
So he's been on the other side of the camera in recent decades. So he hasn't been doing as much acting. I'm going to look up what he directed because I'm pretty sure that he directed this project. And I'm sorry to spoil your 80s nostalgia with he was a pedophile. No, it's okay. It's all right. Um, yeah, so that I read that and I read this, the hot book that everyone's reading the last thing he told me by Laura Dave, uh, which I was having like serious FOMO with that book. So I like someone lent it to me and I grabbed it and read it really fast. Oh, okay. So you, you're done with it. I am done with that one. I do. Have you, have you been like aware of, is that on book on your radar at all? Yeah. 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 I think I, I think we probably mentioned it or I was looking forward to it in one of our preview shows. I do have it. Yeah. I think we talked about it. Two chapters, but yeah, I wasn't, Uh, I mean, not that it's not good. Uh, I can't say that I was grabbed right away. I kind of had a lot of things competing for my attention. So for right now, I'm just chalking it up to that. And when I get a chance, I actually race back to it. I did not. No, I thought it was, I don't know. I got to the end and I was like, oh my God, that was the, that was the story. Like I, and then over the weekend I started explaining it to my daughter and I was like, well, then this happened and that happened. And like, the more I talked about it, the more ridiculous, the whole seemed. <laughs> well, just the more ridiculous it seemed. I was like, wait, okay. With some distance, this sounds kind of implausible. So I don't know, not, not worth the hype to me. I don't okay. think. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I just finished, what did I just finished? Um, I finished the Jocelyn Jackson book. I went back to her. I had just read Mother May I, so I just read Never Have I Ever. And I really enjoyed that one. I'll be looking forward to her next book that's, that's coming out. You know, um, I think it's a pretty good domestic thriller, like really rooted in the community, like people, the characters interact with each other. I was trying to figure out whether I thought it was going to be a dark, you know, the dark side of suburbia kind of novel. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I would go that far, but it is about this woman who it actually starts with a book club, which is interesting because this is our book club episode, but it starts with a woman who is new to the community. Uh, she comes to the, the, the town book club, um, there are these two women. One is Amy, who has some secrets in her past, and her friend Char, who kind of runs the book club. And this woman comes over, she like kind of takes over the book club, and she gets them to play this game where they admit like the worst things they've ever done. And this is not the type of woman it turns out that you should admit your deep, dark secrets to. But as it turns out, you discover that she is quickly she's there in particular for one woman in particular. And it becomes this very taut cat and mouse game between, um, who's gonna, who's gonna come out on top. Like, will each woman be able to keep their life intact because they both are running from some things and, you know, there's a little bit of blackmail involved or a lot of blackmail involved. And, uh, it was pretty good. I, you know, I do think as with thrillers can be, and I think I'm a little bit more forgiving just because I feel like the nature of the thriller is the roller coaster ride. So I, I tend to rate them like on how ridiculous they get. So it did get a little bit implausible towards then, or I won't say implausible so much as a lot of things happen that I, I would have liked more book on, but you're just kind of done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it. Yep, okay. yep, we can't stay away. <laughs> can't stay away, I know. Um, and so right now I'm reading, speaking of thrillers, and this is like a political thriller, I'm reading Stacey Abrams' book, When Justice Sleeps. And it is about this young woman who is clerking in a Supreme Court justice's, you know, she's on his court. And he, it's like, kind of ambiguous whether he decides that he wants to put himself into a coma or whether someone has slipped him something because they want him, you know, they want a seat to open up on the Supreme Court. But he has left his, his power of attorney to his young clerk. No one thinks that that makes any sense. Like his wife or ex-wife is furious. The son is furious. 
but he entrusted his power of attorney and his health decisions to her so that she could make the right decisions. And he feels like she is smart enough to like decipher the clues to why he has done this, you know, when there's all this pending legislation in, in place that could kind of blow up. And I would say it's good. It's well-written. It's like, but there's just so much with the ins and outs of the court that sometimes I get a little bit lost, but I'm about halfway through. Okay. Why did I think she wrote romances? Cause she does. Okay. So, <laughs> so she's is- written her biographies, I guess, or like her more nonfiction political books. This is her first kind of political thriller. And when you look at the cover jacket, those like she meant, it's like this book mentioned and then her two political nonfiction books, the romance books, I think she wrote under a different name. So. Okay. Got it. I wonder what they're like. I don't know what any of them are about. So I might look that up at some point. All right. So, um, so that's what we've been reading. Did you pick up a book of the month book? I just did. I went with Malibu Rising. Okay. How about you? You know, I have no idea what they are. I was checking yesterday and they weren't up. Yeah, they they announced them today. Um, Malibu Rising. Then there's like a contemporary fiction. There's a fantasy. There is a um, YA. And then maybe I can't remember. Oh, and Maidens, right. That was the last one. Except for, I think I may have pre-ordered that. Yeah, I don't know about this set. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, everyone loves Malibu Rising, so I'm going to give her another chance. <laughs> which one Which one kind of put you off of her? Oh, what put me off? Because um, you were whipping through them and kind of loving them. I know. Them. I liked him a lot. And then I liked Daisy Jones. Was that her last one? I think or was it, it was Daisy one of- Jones that did it. I didn't love Daisy Jones and I wanted to love Daisy Jones. And I keep saying, I'm going to go back and do Daisy Jones on audio. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it worth was, it to do it on audio if you didn't love it. Yeah. I don't know. I read it on Kindle, which I oh, really don't why. like. Right. Uh-huh. I really don't like Kindle. And I just, it was like, it was the only way I could get my hands on it at the time. And so I did it on Kindle and, and maybe that was it. Like just, it's just, I'm not an e-reader. So I don't know. Everyone says this one is so good. So I have liked other ones that she's written. So I'm, I'm definitely willing to give it a chance. Okay. Well, it seems like you liked most of them. It seemed like Daisy Jones was the biggest departure from all the other stuff that she had been doing. I think that's right. So I don't know if she's are people, what's the buzz? Is it she's back to form or is it? Well, I think most people didn't think she ever lost Left. form. Maybe it was Evelyn Hugo that I read more, re- more recently. Actually, I actually feel like I read Evelyn Hugo after I read Daisy Jones. I'm not sure. Did you like Evelyn Hugo? I thought yeah. you liked that one. I liked it. I liked okay. it. I mean, I didn't love it, but I liked it. So I'm, which one I, did I you mean, love? I liked One True Loves a lot. Okay. And I liked, so maybe in another life here, I'm going to look him up. And for those who don't know, we're talking about Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, I'm looking it up in my, okay. So I've read, I've read um, maybe in another life, Daisy Jones and the Six, Seven Husbands, One True Loves, and After I Do. So I've read like five. And I liked her earlier stuff, like After I Do and One True Loves, and maybe in another life a little better than I liked the more recent ones, Evelyn Hugo. Um, yeah. Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones. But I mean, i like them enough that I will, I mean, it's very readable. It's very like, it's a good summer read regardless. I mean, all of them have been good. So I'm, I'm excited to give it a try. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll, you'll let us know. Yes, for sure. Is it feeling like something you want to read sooner rather than later or do you feel no, like it no could just disappear down the pile? Okay. Yeah, it'll just go on the stack, <laughs> add it to the stack. I've had a bunch of good stuff come in recently too that I'm really excited about. So like the other black girl just showed up and um, I don't know. There's just oh, so yeah. many, I have such shiny object syndrome. It's like, it's really bad. I just, yeah. I want to clone my brain into seven brains and then read seven books at a time, but have it all, you know, merge back into one brain so that I can remember it all. 
each that's, night you'll get an upload of yeah that's all the my chapters current you plan <laughs> to deal with my tbr list i'm not sure how realistic it is yeah i'm in the middle of some things like i have been doing my buddy reads with my friend who used to be here and we would do bookish things together but you know during the pandemic she has been in pittsburgh so we're reading radiant girls which is kind of a downer mm. Um, you know, it's about all of these women who are working in like watch factories, working with radium, you know, like with these tiny brushes to paint the watch faces. And of course it's just, it's toxic. So like their jaw bones are disintegrating. It's just really kind of gruesome. Yeah. That doesn't sound so good. Um, so needless to say, I haven't been racing like that. I'm in one of those periods where I have like six books that, probably have two or three chapters left or a hundred pages. You know, when you're in that stage uh-huh. where it's either you'll have read eight books for the week, for the month, or you will have read none because you're just right. a little bit here and a little bit there. So anyway, so I'm going to try to finish the Radiant Girls because I'm going to talk to her this week. And then I want to finish Stacey Abrams' book. Uh, I don't know. I don't think political thrillers are my thing. I was just curious to see what her writing style was going to be like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Book news is light, but I do want to mention that Last Letter from Your Lover by Jojo Moyes is going to be, I think it's July 23rd is coming out on Netflix. It's going to be a movie. And I did not read the book. I didn't read that either. Yeah. I think I have it, but I don't think I read it. You know, I don't know if I've read anything besides the trilogy by her. Oh, I read something once. Um, I'm going to look it up because it's going to be one of those titles that's like a a, a phrase and I'll never remember it on my own. It's called, let's see, One Plus One. Okay. Which one, what was that one about? I think it was like this woman, it's like a single mom and she meets a guy. Let's see. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, down on her luck heroine, trying to support herself and her two offbeat kids. She's trying to take her daughter to a, a math Olympiad. So she goes on this, ends up on this road trip with this, a guy and I, oh, like he comes across her on the road trip. And then it's like sort of, you know, oddball, quirky characters who ends up getting together. I, I liked it. I called this an entertaining, satisfying read. <laughs> it was good. I, I mean, she, she always writes well. I think just none of the premises really catch me. Yeah. I probably would not have read, um, the trilogy. Yeah. I wouldn't have read it. I think it was one of those, I was looking through books and just kind of reading the first chapter to see, because I had been laying around for quite a bit of time. And I picked up Me Before You and I read a chapter or two and just, I think I just sat there and read the book that day. And, but it had been hanging around for a while. I don't think that what she, how her books are described are ever just like, oh, I really want to read this. Oh, I also forgot. I read The Giver of Stars like last year, which is also Jojo Moyes and, and not the trilogy. Oh yeah, that's right. That was the one that she got accused of plagiarism. Yeah. I think you're right. Like sometimes like her fact patterns don't, like you look at them and you're like, eh. But then <laughs> once you get in there, she's just, she's just a good storyteller. I think my least favorite of all of these was The Giver of Stars. It was too predictable. Yeah, me before you did not go where I thought it would. Mm. That one yeah. was not predictable at all. Yeah. I don't think. All right. So let's get into our books about dark suburb, the dark side of suburbia. <laughs> yes. And uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you picked your books? Just because I was very, like I was trying to be really particular with this and do books where the community really is kind of dark and affects people's lives. Yes. Well, should we talk about the book first? The main book? Mm, I don't know. We can do something different. Um, well, I feel like we should just to set the stage for why we, why we did this topic. Sure. Okay. So 
Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan is about a Long Island suburb in which one very hot summer set in the future, a sinkhole opens up in the middle of this kind of crescent-shaped road. So imagine like a road that's sort of like a circular backwards C that has all these houses around it. And then sort of a park that's right in the middle of all of it, a sinkhole opens up and, you know, is so large that it would be possible to fall into it and not be seen again. And so during the course of this summer, you have rising tensions among the neighbors who live along this crescent. There's maybe 20 families that live there most of whom who have kids. So you've got kind of the kid generation and then the parent generation. And there's a lot of blame that goes around and there's some false accusations that get lobbied while some accusations, unclear whether they're false or not. And the tension among the families ratchets up and up and up until like, you know, some kind of shocking events happen among these families. So you have this, you know, what looks like it should be an idyllic suburban community, but you've got a bunch of nasty things happening. You've got environmental issues because they blame the sinkhole on environmental stuff. You've got, um, you know, uh, possible uh, molestation or other abuse of kids. You've got potential uh, child abuse happening. And then you have all of this very ugly behavior happening among the adults, like almost, you know, sort of mob mentality taking over and impacting how the the adults deal with each other. All right. So we've given you the description. Maybe let's hold the book club part. Okay. I think the description sets us up for why we chose the books that we did uh, on the dark side of suburbia. But I also want to be able to discuss the book and get into spoilers. So that's why I kind of want to put it at the end. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. What's your first dark suburbia book? My first dark suburbia book is Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore. I really like this book. I read it. It's set in Texas, I believe in the 1980s. And it is about what happens to this community. And it focuses on the women in the aftermath of this brutal rape by uh, a member. He's not even a member of the community, but he's a white man who is working at one of the oil fields uh, that is neighboring the town. And when he, the night of this horrible crime, the young girl, and she's a young Mexican girl, manages to get away and she goes to the door of one of the women who lives in the community and there is going to be a trial because of what he's done, but the town is just so divided. Um, you know, there are some people who see this as a crime, no matter what. There's some people who just stand, you know, by the boy because of their feelings, because of like just the racism in the town. And so it's all about the lives of these women, you know, One, her husband has died and she spends a lot of time drinking and just trying to figure out what to do with her life. The woman, I think her name is Marianne, who has rescued Glory. Um, She had been living on the outskirts of town, but because the trial is coming up, she decides to move into town so that she's not like isolated out on her farm patch. And so... Everyone just thinks something really different or different than Mary Beth thinks. Like she and a couple of other neighbors are kind of different voices in this crowd who just kind of believe that either the girl had it coming to her or don't even look at her as a young girl. I believe she's 14 when it happened. She had been hanging out at a bar and it's just kind of like, oh, she had it coming. So there are things that happen as we wait for this trial, you see how it affects Mary Beth's life and Glory's life, you know, as she waits to see, you know, if she's going to have to testify and just, there is a, there's a toxicity about this town and how they, how this, this court case affects them all and has them turn on certain parts of, of their community, you know, like, And I think that there was something with good neighbors that speaks to 
how these suburban communities are kind of united in this thought of sameness that you can really stir up some ugly things when you can stir up some really ugly things when something comes into this community that's not the same. I started that book and I really liked it. And then for some reason I put it down and never picked it back up again. Well, too, it's a book that, I mean, I could see that. It's not like, it's like tough things are happening in this book, but I also, like, there's so much history. Like you can learn so much in reading this book about the eighties, about what a small town feels like. It's just, I feel like it's really sensory and really dense. So you can enjoy it, but at the same time, I can see how it could be easy to wander away from it. She's writing another book, I think, that's set in the same community. And I really, I really want to read it whenever it's done. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to bump that one back up the list this summer. I really want to finish it. I know it's dark, but, um, I liked her writing a lot and I just, I got sucked in right away and I don't know why I put it down. You know, that just happens sometimes. And then you're like, it's just hard to get the mojo back. (sighs) Okay. So my first book about suburbia is one you and I have talked about many times on this show. And as you know, it's not one of my favorite books, but when we were talking about Dark Side of Suburbia, it was like literally the first one that came to mind. And it is Carousel Court. <laughs> so Carousel Court is I feel like about... we haven't talked about that one in a while. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? No, I'm not. Oh, all right, I good. mean, it used to come up all the time as like the I worst know. book ever. And then we kind of moved on. <laughs> okay. So it's by Joe McGinnis and it is a book about these two, about a couple with a young son who moved to Southern California from somewhere on the East coast or Midwest. I can't remember. And they moved at like the worst possible time. They moved like right before the housing crisis in 2008. So they buy this big McMansion that they really can't afford, but you know, they get like a cheap loan and they, everyone else is doing it. So they move into this big house. That's going to be kind of the answer to their problems. And it's going to allow them to live this dream lifestyle in Southern California. And then the financial crisis happened. And I think one or both of them loses their job or like their husband loses his job. And she's like, sort of like just hanging on as a pharmaceutical rep, but she like, you know, isn't getting the commissions she needs or the the bounties or whatever her payment structure is. And so they become increasingly desperate. How are they going to pay their mortgage? How are they going to stay in this house? And they're, meanwhile, their neighborhood is just surrounded by foreclosures. So it's homes that have been abandoned. People have, it's been repossessed by banks. They're empty. They've been pillaged. They are, you've got homeowners um, who are still on the street with guns at night because there are these kind of roving gangs of people who come into these homes and either squat in them or they, you know, mine them for whatever things of value might be left. So there's this kind of looming, menacing threat of violence all the time going on. And these two people who, you know, really kind of hate each other at this point because of the situation they're in, um, are just like increasingly desperate to try to figure out a way out where they can claw their way back to some sort of respectability and security. And meanwhile, they have like a two-year-old son. And I just hate that feeling of always fearing that a child in a book is in some kind of danger that, you, you know, you just, you just get this feeling like with there's guns and coyotes and all these kind of things, awful things happening at night. You just kind of always wonder like what's going to happen to this poor, you know, defenseless toddler. This was a relentlessly negative book, super depressing. (laughs) I've told you a million times, like how painful I thought the experience of reading it was, but like, is there a book more about the darker side of suburbia than Carousel Court? No, I don't think there is. (laughs) It just, it just epitomizes it right there. (laughs) So I know I haven't really sold it very well, but it's, it fits the theme perfectly. <laughs> yeah. If you're one of our longtime listeners, you remember Gail talking about Carousel Court. I think we yeah. had a whole Festivus uh, episode <laughs> release the, to release that. Mine like that was truly madly guilty by oh, Ann yeah. Moriarty. Yeah. It is just, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. It didn't make my dark side of suburbia list. And I think that was because I focus more on like communal vitriol <laughs> towards yeah. outside elements, but it was set in suburbia and this friendship was just so toxic and it was unrelenting. Like there was no kind of humor or any space for anything in this book. It was just like just one terrible, this terrible friendship, like this other terrible thing is going on in the backdrop. It was, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. What's your next one? So my next one is The Marriage Pact by Michelle Richman. So like I said, I was trying to think of books where the community comes forward to like influence the lives of people who are different. So the marriage pact is about this newlywed couple, Alice and Jake, one of uh, Gail's favorite names for a male in this book. And um, so, yeah, so they're newlywed, they're happy couple and they get this invitation and this like enticing wedding gift about joining this, this thing called the pact. And it is supposed to be just like this really good support in order to keep you on track to have a happy marriage. And so they have these rules that you have to abide by. Like you have to answer your, you have to always answer your phone when your spouse calls, you have to Uh, make sure you give them gifts that are meaningful. Like you have to plan vacations with them. Um, I don't know. I think it's like a couple of times a year or once a quarter. They're just really specific rules. And as it turns out, you know, this community is going to keep you on track because there are these penalties for if you do not, you know, abide by this pact. And it's something that they increasingly become uncomfortable with and they're trying to get out of it. But of course there are consequences for trying to leave this. It's kind of like, you know, once you join the pact, it's almost like you're married to them. So if for whatever reason you don't want to abide by the rules, there are punishments that, you know, affect you and your partner and they decide that they want to try to get out of this. And of course it just, it just gets worse. This one had a really wild ending. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which I I liked a lot of the book, but then it's, it just it was one of those books that just turned into something completely different by the end, like it was almost a different book. Mhm. So that it was kind of that made it mix for me. Yeah, the end did get a little out of the rails. Yeah. yeah, just different. I love yeah. Michelle Richmond's writing though. So mm-hmm. she comes out with another book um, hopefully she won't get as wild. I feel like her fiction, the fiction that she writes is usually so detailed and intricate about these families or whatever. And they don't, they don't usually veer off like this. I think this was probably her first foray into something that was more like a thriller. Right. And you know how those thrillers go. Right. Right. I remember reading The Year of Fog by her, which I really liked. She has another book coming out that's kind of thrillery. It's coming out this summer called The Wonder Test, which I'm just noticing because I just looked at her website. Yeah, a tough and spirited new protagonist, FBI agent, Lena Connerly, in this exhilarating race to save Silicon Valley teens from their own parents' ambition and greed. There's a pencil on the cover. Hmm. And like blood. Oh, God. The Wonder Test. (laughs) I know. I think I need to read a broken ice cream type book. I wonder if I could make this count. Like there's, there's blood by the pencil. Okay. So my next one is The Leftovers by Tom Parada. And this is a book also about suburbia where you've got this community and um, this thing happens where a certain percentage of the population just disappears one day. There's like this, what did they call it? The rapture or something? Something that happens. I forgot what they call it, but there's this phenomenon where some people just all of a sudden disappear. And so you're left with the leftovers. So the people who are, okay, it's called the sudden disappearance. Um, 
the rapture is the parallel. The rapture is the one that's, you know, the, the real life one where people, that's, people talk about that happening in, you know, in our time, but this is called the sudden disappearance. So millions of people disappear, but we're focused just on this one community. And it's about how the people of this community go on from there. You know, how do families who have lost a child or a parent or, you know, some family member, how do they kind of collect themselves and move on? Do they turn to, uh, you know, some sort of cult or religion or some way to explain it to kind of like, you know, deal with their grief? Do they try to mobilize or help? So it's kind of just all about the reaction. And, um, you know, he's like, Tom Parada always writes about the suburbs and, you know, usually his books are a little lighter than this and they're about, you know, kind of unhappy marriages or people who are single and looking for love and unhappy. And, you know, you're dealing with like that type of thing. This is, you know, I, what I think was his first foray into sort of a dystopian type of book, but he's looking here at, you know, how do people respond? Um, what would you do if you were in this, sh- in these shoes? And, you know, how does a society come together and try to move on from something like this? This was also turned into a series. I think I didn't remember what network it was on, but it was, you know, they turned it into a, a series that was kind of HBO. Yeah. So they were like, sort of like looking at individual lives in, in this community and how they all kind of dealt with it. I remember watching the first episode or two because I was really intrigued after having read the book. But there's, you know, implications of husbands and wives and parents and children and just the strain that it puts on them as they try to move forward. And because it is set in, you know, New York, New Jersey, one of these suburbs, it really has that strong suburban element to it. So my next book, it's not super toxic, but it's toxic enough to make this family move is This Is How It Always Is by Lori Frankel. And it is about this couple who have five children, their last children, their last children, their last child is a boy. They have been hoping and hoping for a girl, but then their little boy decides he likes wearing dresses and swimsuits. He begins to present as something else, which causes problems in their community. Like first it causes problems because they are trying to be accommodating of him and his choices and like figure out how to um, go forward as a family. And the community, the community is not as supportive as they would have liked. And so then they take the opportunity to move to see if they can have a redo to allow their son to become Poppy. But then there's also problems when that comes out in the community. So This is a story about a family who really has to find their way uh, in the midst of a community who is not necessarily understanding of this transition that their son wants to make into being a girl. And, you know, they don't always make the right decisions in terms of trying to help him become the her that she would like to be. So the community, a lot of it's family oriented, but it really did the community's views and the community's non-acceptance of something different did play a role in the decisions that they made and some of the little tragedies that they had along the way. That's a great pick. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a great pick. It's a really good book. And it certainly fits your criteria about, you know, how do these communities respond to people who are different? Not well. Not well. Um, okay. My next one is another book that we've actually talked about some on the show. And this is like the really, really ugly, awful side of suburbia. And it is called Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris. And in this book, you have a couple who seems to be perfect and they are like, you know, loving and they entertain and they're very, um, you know, they have a beautiful home and they look great together, but behind closed doors, there's an entirely different thing going on. 
this was for me, um, one of the more uncomfortable books I've ever read. You're, you're, this a theme of this episode is, you know, books that were hard for Gail to read. Um, this one is really, uh, stressful because what's going on behind the closed doors is really pretty awful. And, um, it's, you know, suspenseful, but also just tense and stressful and, and just deeply disturbing. But it really is all about, you know, this kind of the, um, the contrast between appearances and what is expected and what other people judge them by and think of them and what's really happening, the reality, which is very, very ugly indeed. So, um, you know, this for me was like one of those, like I couldn't put it down, but it was also just scaring the shit out of me. (laughs) I was like trying to read it at night and not being able to fall asleep because it was so hard, but it's a, it was a good book. I wonder, I have to read that one. I thought you have. No, I've read a couple of her other books. Uh, Right. You read the breakdown, I think, right? I think I read the breakdown and I read one of her other books. And so she puts out one a year. I can add her to my list, but I've always been wanting to get back to this to see what has, you know, made you so (laughs) shivery about it. Or (laughs) like I kind of describe it as when you read with your hands peeking between your eyes and Uh just like, I want to see, but I don't want to see, but I want to see. So I have to read that. I feel like I came across someone talking about it and they said it was like torture porn which just like yes. really about a suburban couple or yes, um, that is so a good to, word for it. I have to check it out. Yeah, All right. So how many that. more do you have? I have three more. How about you? Lots of good books about suburbia. Um, I have that many more. I'm just thinking, let me know in terms of time. Oh, right. Because we still need to talk about the book. Okay. Well, we can just try to get through them kind of quickly. Okay. So my next one I read earlier this year, came out earlier this year. I think it's a really good kind of suburban horror pick. It attempts to have some humor in it, um, even though it gets like really dark towards the end. And it does have a thriller, you know, it's a thriller. So I will let you make of that what you will, but it's called When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. And it is about this woman who is living, she's gone back to take care of her mother in this Brooklyn neighborhood that is swiftly gentrifying. And she has, there's a neighbor that lives across the street. He's just broken up with his girlfriend. He's like in one of these miserable sort of New York situations where they have broken up, but he can't afford to go anywhere else to live. So they're both still living in the apartment, even though actually it's a house. They're both still living in the house. So at least it's a little bit bigger uh, because the other, you know, neither can afford to just move. So he's in that miserable situation and he gets involved with his neighbor across the street and they start noticing that people in their community, it seems like they're disappearing. Like there's just weird things that are going on. Um, They have these developers who are coming in and trying to get people's property and just, it's, it's kind of horrible the takeover of this neighborhood and what they unearth and discover. So you know, it definitely, you get to learn about the history of Brooklyn, um, the community and its original inhabitants and how it has changed. And, you know, like there's like these tours of people who are coming because they want to move in and these brownstones are very valuable. Some of the owners are elderly. Uh, so it's a lot of information. Like it makes you, I really thought a lot about what happens when neighborhoods change over, but there's still this like horror thriller aspect of it. Um, but it was a good book. Alyssa Cole usually writes romances. So this was kind of like different for her. They're not YA romances, but the protagonists tend to be like really young, early twenties. Maybe you would call it new adult. Uh, So I think this was her first foray into just more adult fiction, but it still had that horror element to it as opposed to romance. Okay. My next one is a lot lighter than the ones I've just been talking about. This is called, This is Where I Leave You by Jonathan Tropper. And I mean, most of Jonathan Tropper books are about suburbia. And this is just the one I happened to pick for this. Um, This is about a man named Judd Foxman who lives in the suburbs, New York suburbs. um, And his father has just died. And so his father's dying wish was that his four kids 
and his, uh, sorry, yes, four kids and his wife will live together in the house for seven days. Kind of like the way Jews sit Shiva when someone dies. He's like making everybody come back into the house and just deal with each other. And of course you've got, you know, family tensions and you've got children, you know, these siblings all have like a varying level of drama going on in their own lives and their love lives and with their own kids. And so you throw them all into this house and you've got to, you know, these people kind of have to like confront their, their tensions and their issues with each other. And it's mostly pretty funny. It was actually made into a movie with Jason Bateman and Jane Fonda and I think Tina Fey. Um, so it's a funny book. It's, you know, it's, it's Jonathan Tropper. So he's kind of making fun of lots of things and, um, you know, poking fun at everybody, but also find some good in everybody too. So it's, it's a little predictable, but I found it very entertaining. All right. So my next one is the year of the witching by Alexis Henderson. And this is like a really dark community. It seems like it's happened in apocalyptic times. And I couldn't really tell when I was reading it, like what, if it had been like a modern community that has now retreated into different parts, but it is about this woman who is born to, like her mother was accused of witchcraft. And she lives in this community where their ruler takes different, usually young women that he marries and has children by. And so everyone is confined to this one community. They're not allowed to leave at all. But she, because of her mother had spent some time in the wilderness, she's kind of ostracized by the community. Like she's not the same. So she just tries to keep her head down and do her work. But of course, that is not possible. She kind of becomes involved with the son of the leader. And essentially a plague comes on their community, which it seems like she might have triggered um, when she was walking into the forest. So she wants to help them to, to survive. You know, she doesn't want this plague to ruin her home and where she lives and her family. So it's the first book, I believe, in a trilogy. And the community is just, it's really toxic. Like the women, you know, it's very segregated according to how they have a class system that runs, you know, she's ostracized by the community. So the way that they deal with her is just kind of, she's always an outcast. It's very hands-off, you know, she really doesn't get a lot of affection. And yeah. I mean, when you live in a community like that, it is a toxic community and it influences all the decisions that you make. And this book, like I said, is the first in a trilogy. So it will go on and we'll see how this community changes in light of, you know, I guess the final stand that takes place in this first book, but it had definitely culty vibes of this is who we are. This is how we treat people who might be slightly different. You know, like one of her parents had been a part of this community, but one of them was not. So she was othered. And yeah, it's definitely dark suburbia. All right. I'm going to combine my last two because we're a little short on time and I want to make sure we do get a chance to talk about the book. Um, and these are two books that you and I have both read and talked about a lot on the show. So I'm going to give them a little bit of short shrift, but one is A Good Neighborhood, by Therese Ann Fowler, and one is Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. Okay, we can combine those because... Oh, did you have those as well? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So that's great. Um, Yeah, so those are both books that deal with, you know, tensions in a neighborhood. The first one has to do with racial tension because you have a Black family living next door to a white family, and then an event happens that kind of brings to the surface... Uh, racism and, um, you know, how these families have to kind of interact with each other and, and sort of the inequitable treatment that the Black family faces at the hands of this neighborhood. And there's like this Greek chorus going on, which of course, you know, only adds to this element of like the community and the neighborhood. Um, and in Ask Again, Yes, you also have neighbors um, who 
are bound together by a tragedy that happens one day with one of the families, but it it deeply involves the other family. So then you've got these two families that become interlinked as well and on into the future through their kids. And, you know, both of them are about appearances and judgment and, you know, how these families kind of try to move on from tragedy. And, you know, they are, even though they deal with really different issues, they're kind of reminiscent of each other. All right. Okay. So those are our dark suburbs books. And now we're going to talk about good neighbors. So if you have not yet read good neighbors and you want to, um, feel free to drop off now because there will definitely be spoilers here. Um, but if you have read it or you're not sure you're going to read it, but you just want to hear what we have to say about it, please stay on and um, we will get into our book discussion. All right. So, Gail, why didn't you tell me <laughs> if I've been in suspense? I think that Good Neighbors is the my least favorite book that I have read in the last decade. I wow. absolutely <laughs> hated it. I have Whoa, to be and you just mentioned honest. You just mentioned the other book. I know. Carousel well, Ford. it may have been more than 10 years. I, I'm not sure that I liked it more than Carousel Court. Honestly, Nicole, I couldn't stand this book. And I know that a lot of people like it. And I'm extremely interested to hear what you thought of it. Um, I didn't love it, but I did. I, re- I really, I loved, I loved how she put it together. I, I did like it. I liked it quite a bit. Okay. And, and and you are not alone. There's a lot of people who like it. Yeah. Because I spent a fair amount of time reading through Goodreads reviews as, you know, as I was finishing it and being like, am I, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I hate this so much? But there are, there are people in my camp, but there's a lot more people in your camp. What do you think bothered you so much about the book? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know I've been the like holding this for like a month. Um, okay. I thought it was like, I, I thought that the, I couldn't stand the characters. I couldn't stand any of the characters. Um, I found it relentlessly dark. I thought it was also confusing. Like I, sometimes I was like, I don't understand what's going on. I thought it would like, there would be, she would introduce all like a whole bunch of characters at one time, a bunch of neighbors and people, but like, I couldn't, I kind of, I couldn't remember who they were from, you know, other than the, the kind of the main, the two main families. I had a hard time remembering who any of the other characters were. I found the people like they just acted really strange. I thought the kids were way too mature for kids, like the way they talked and the things they said and did and the, the you know, the things that they ultimately, I understand that you're, you've kind of got these kids who are acting more responsibly and empathetically than their parents. The parents are kind of awful people and the kids are left to kind of pick up the pieces and try to fix things. But I was like, this is unrealistic. Like no kids, you know, this age, like they're 12 to 16 are going to act like this. I thought it was super repetitive. Like the way that she wrote, she just kept repeating even the same words over and over and over again. The whole thing with the sinkhole, I just it was like, a, she was like, it was like a mashup of genres. Like she had this environmental thing and this dystopian thing. And then like, is there like, you know, a living, breathing thing in the sinkhole? I just, oh my God, I, I, I found this such a chore to get through. I, I found it like literally painful to read this book. I just wanted to finish it. Uh, oh, well, I'm sorry. Book club caused you so much distress. I was just like, it's a suburban, um, it seemed like it was going to be a dark domestic book. I thought it was really clever and really layered. I mean, I, I think it took me a while to get into the books. I did think that there were a lot of characters and I didn't know what was going on in the beginning and who was going to be important. I mean, I think it was clear pretty early on that the relationship between Rhea and um, Gertie was going to be important. You know, that Rhea is like the queen bee. And I thought that, that it was hinted at there were, um, they had these people chime in. I guess it's confusing in the beginning because it really is almost like Daisy Jones and the Six or the last revival of Opal and Nev. And Nev. It's told by a reporter who has a certain perspective, who is looking back on what's happened. I think like maybe it's 15 years or so later. And then like, there's these different, there's 
news clippings from this one reporter who had followed the story. Uh, someone has written a book about it, like they interview neighbors. So it's all told in the snippets of looking back, you know, just trying to, they reference other things like other environmental things that could have happened um, that this still just resonates with people and people really wonder what happened. And it's really rooted in Rhea's psychological problems. I think one of the main points was, you know, there's a certain level of, of anything that we're, we want people to know about us and that we feel comfortable with. And that especially if you're dealing with someone who's unbalanced, it it's dangerous for anything that they don't want to come out for it to come out. So there's also like you referenced the crescent shape, like in front of each section, you get to see like the progression of what time these things, you know, I think it starts July 5th and it ends in August. So you get a progression, you see this crescent in the beginning. And I think there's like 70 people living and you see as these things happen, like as the problems with the sinkhole become worse, um, people are moving out of the neighborhood. So I think there's probably 30 by the time the book ends. And of course, there's a reference to murders. I think there's a little misdirection about who is actually killed in the, in the book. But I just thought it did a really good job in showing the processes that were involved. Like once I got a hold of the characters. Um, I was really, I was really interested in it and into it. And I really liked the structure and I really liked the way she communicated that something was not working with this woman, with this community. You know, the fact that, that people do tend to be such followers. And I think there was one woman who says, you know, I was a doctor and, and these people did not let me into the circle. Cause I just felt like, you know, the woman who was the queen bee, Rhea did not, she didn't want the competition from someone who was smarter than her. Like she had lots of pro- problems that influenced, um, how she behaved, but it was just interesting to see why the community, you know, it's like no one had any sense. And I do think that all, that all of the people were terrible. And I don't want to say it's just, you know, terrible people live in the suburb, in suburbia. It wasn't that. Um, because of other people who live on the block do say that this, this part of the block was a bit of a click. And, you know, so some of them were pretty removed. Some of them were not involved, you know, people moved away. And so it was just interesting to see like this group of people, like I think of studies that have been done that show that where you live, like proximity is kind of everything in relationships. You know, like when you go to college, who lives on either side of you and across from you in a dorm, you're more likely to get to know them and form close bonds as opposed to someone who maybe lives down the hall. And that's what this neighborhood reminded me of is like, there were these, the families that were involved in this were just like really close together and were happy followers. Just kind of like when I was reading this Jocelyn Jackson book, the woman who, who ran the book club and made all the decisions about it. I don't know. I thought, I thought she set it up really well. I think some things were repetitive just because of the state of mind of the characters who had them. Like everyone was a little unbalanced. For sure. Everyone is unbalanced. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I can appreciate what you're saying about the construction. I just, I think it was (laughs) these, these sort of hateful people, especially Rhea. Um, They're just, they're just hateful, unhappy people. And, you know, I also, I did this on audio and there's something about the narrator. She She put on a very strong Long Island accent for Gertie. And it just like, that's interesting because Gertie wasn't even from Long Island. She was from Brooklyn, which was part maybe of the Maybe it was a Brooklyn accent. Was... Right. So maybe okay. she put on a Brooklyn accent. Maybe it was a Long Island accent for Rhea. It, I, like everything about it was so 
just felt like unnecessarily like extreme and negative. And it just, you know, uh, like the hospital scenes, like when Gertie, you know, had kind of her mental breakdown and then something happens to the son and he ends up in the hospital and then the father, like, it just, it was just felt like it was like, Oh my God, like what more can go wrong here? And like the kids going down into the sinkhole, to retrieve the body of the girl who was missing. That part was just, do you know what? I will say this. She, this is her first, um, I don't want to say book for adults, but she usually writes in the horror genre. So I think the interesting part of this is that it is a blend. It's like real life, but just how terrible it can be. And, you know, when you hear these stories on the news about someone who, you know, a neighbor has had an altercation that devolves into something else, or just all these crazy stories about people cutting down hedges or anything like that. You know, when you live in a community, it's just like, you don't necessarily know, I think what is going on on either side of you, you know, I think that there are assumptions that her neighbors made about her that made it possible for them to go forward. And I think it, I don't know, it's just, it, for me, it's said a lot of interesting things about people that once we have an idea in our heads, you know, we are not normally dealing with things that are in front of us. We're dealing with decisions that we have already made. Once the children, you know, and I think that this is kind of what children do. They're kind of just talking about some things that they don't really understand yet yeah, could be trouble, but yeah, let me say this and I'll go, you know, it's, it was all about going along to be a part of this community. And it seems like the children's community mirrored the community of the parents, which it normally does, you know, like who you have play dates with or, or whatever. So you, these, this rat pack group was basically, uh, the children of all of the families who decided to lose their minds and act against Gertie and her family because they're kind of, they're not the same class. You know, they're from Brooklyn. He was a, he's like a failed rock and roller who is trying to sell, what is he selling? Like dishwashers or some copiers, photocopiers or whatever. No one will give them a break. And they, the only thing that they really did was to dare to have a dream to have a better life for their children. And because they just did not fit in with this family, I mean, they were already kind of on the outside and Rhea kind of welcomes Gertie in. But when she's not received in the way she wants to, then she puts her out to the wolves. And of course, the other families just never thought she matched anyway. Yeah. I guess when you get into it with your neighbors too, you just... And these are uncomfortable things to think about. Like when you interact with people and we think that we know people, we probably really don't know them a lot. So, you know, I don't think every community is like this. And I think that, you know, there's definitely a mix, but for the problems that they had, it seems like this could blow up, especially with the kind of the dread of what's happening to the environment. You know, like I see these stories on the news about cars that go through sinkholes and it's usually in Florida. Uh, I don't know. I feel like recently I have heard of something for Long Island. So she is too trying to say something about the menace of all of these environmental things. You know, we keep hearing global warming is getting worse. This is the hottest summer ever. This is the whatever, just like, how does that unease build and make you crazy too? Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, it, but, but it was yeah. terrible to read. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was, I just, oh my God. If we were not reading this for book club, I would have given up, which is unusual for me, but I was really I'm just glad you made it through for the book yeah. club. Well, of course, of course, anything for the podcast, Nicole. <laughs> Except for that fantasy book that you didn't read by oh, Lee Pogero. Yes. Um, the Ninth, uh, ninth, ninth house. house. Yeah, Ninth yeah. House. Yeah, that See, wasn't... you probably would have preferred that over this mm, suburban possibly. horror. Possibly. 
it was kind of all the things. And I think it's all the accurate things. Like there's classism in here. Uh, that I don't disagree with any of that. I think it was more just the reading experience for me was hard. Um, yeah. I, it was too many it was genres. Really dark. It was, and it was, just it was too many genres. I don't know. I mean, like yeah. how many genres I think it was. Well, you have kind of like contemporary fiction, but then you've also got this sort of almost like environmental fiction, this kind of dystopian, like environmental element to it. Um, and then there is that almost like that horror undertone. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not, it's not too many genres but for me. Maybe I just felt some whiplash as I was reading. Cause I was like trying to sort of like a buffer between all of these different, you know, styles at one time. It was definitely unrelenting horror. I mean, and yeah. I think just the setup from the beginning, it's like, okay, so this is us looking back. You know, I think some of the articles were 2047. The actual events that happened, they're not that far in the future. It's the, I think it's like July 5th through August of 2027. So six years from now. So I do think that that's really close. I don't know. It was interesting to me too, because I think the point was, with Gertie and Reyes, like they had so much in common and really what starts this all off is a missed moment and how they handle something coming out when someone tells you something terrible. It's like what you do in that moment. Mm -hmm. Just, all All right. right. So (laughs) we'll find a sunnier read for next time. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't think it was, you know, I did not know. I mean, we've read so many stories about communities. I mean, you just talk, we just gave you a whole bunch of dark suburban books that were not unbearable. Yeah. This was pretty dark and unrelenting and God help us if a sinkhole opens up (laughs) in the neighborhood. Um, so we have lighter ones. We'll have, we'll do something lighter. Maybe we should do summer book club. Oh, I'd Where love we that. we just read Trashy. You could read the tale, Malibu Rising. Oh, I don't <laughs> know about that. Okay. All right, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Okay, well, we'll, we'll figure out our next read. And until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.